Hello, everybody, and welcome to Narrative on a Friday night. It's a special Thanksgiving edition of the show, and we hope wherever you are, you're having a terrific Thanksgiving weekend. Coming up, I talk to Kirby Summers. She's Ghislaine Maxwell's biographer, and her new book exposes some really fascinating details about the woman accused of being Jeffrey Epstein's accomplice. Ghislaine Maxwell's trial begins in New York City this coming Monday, so you don't want to miss this interview because it really sets you up for next week's trial. While I have you, I hope you'll indulge me with a couple of minutes about Narrative's patron drive. America and democracy itself has entered its darkest hour. In the coming months and years, we'll be engaging in a global battle over two competing visions, one guided by our common will and self-determination, and another where humans are subject to the whims of a ruler or a dictator. No one can tell you who'll win this clash of ideologies between democracy and autocracy, but what we can tell you is that autocrats are better resourced, they're more organized, and they have a media messaging and influencer network backed by dark money that really puts the democratic side at real peril. Since 2016, Narrative has been a consistently accurate source of news about this battle between democracy and autocracy. Our exclusive reporting is always way ahead of any other outlet, and we aren't beholden to corporate overlords like everybody else. Our mission is really about the truth, and it's about getting you the truth. We just crossed 1 million downloads of the Narrative podcast, and that number still blows me away. I can't believe how many people are so supportive of the show. Thank you so much for downloading. That number doesn't even include the many thousands who watch Narrative Live every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday when we do the show on Twitter and YouTube. But to beat the autocracy challenge, to beat what's coming at us, narrative really needs to grow. We need to expand into a network with more shows and more voices, and we can't do it alone. Despite the thousands of people watching, only 1% subscribe to our Patreon program. Without more paying patrons, narrative's future is in doubt. We really can compete against the autocracy side. If you're already a patron, thank you so much, and we hope you'll consider increasing your monthly subscriptions. And if you're not yet a patron, this is your opportunity to support truthful, independent journalism. It doesn't cost very much. It begins at $5 a month, 40 cents a show, if you will. Plus, we're introducing two new angel investor tiers at $500 and $1,000 a month. After six months of contribution, angels will receive a certificate as founders in the narrative network. In the $1,000 tier, you'll be included in the founder's circle. History asks generations like ours, what did you do? By becoming a patron, you'll not only stand up for democracy, you'll empower independent journalism and analysis on the biggest stories of our time. That will help safeguard America's promise for future generations. Despite the autocratic headwinds battling democracy, I remain completely optimistic. You can never underestimate the strength of individuals working together for their common good. It's how the United States was born, and it's how it will continue to succeed going forward. That is our greatest hope. Now, coming up, my interview with Kirby Summers about Ghislaine Maxwell. Hey friends, thank you for supporting Narrative and our sponsors. What's easier than opening a can of cranberry sauce? Getting free life insurance quotes with Policy Genius, of course. If you're looking for something to do while the family is running a turkey trot, you can be just as productive by comparing quotes from top life insurers with Policy Genius. Why Policy Genius? Well, Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. And why compare? Well, you could save 50% off more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. 
and eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week thanks to an award-winning policy option that swaps the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call. This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes Advisor, higher than options from Ladder, Ethos, and Bestow. This is how it works. Getting started is really easy. First, you head to policygenius.com. In a minute, you can work out how much life insurance you coverage you need, and from there, you can compare personalized quotes to find out your best price. It's as simple as that. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling all for free. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. This is the front page from the New York Times on the 6th of November, 1991. And you can see the other story from the Daily News. Robert Maxwell dead at 68. It happened 30 years ago, just last Friday. Quite a monumental piece of history because, as many of you know, we are still facing the remnants of that the death and still a lot of confusion around that death 30 years later. And his daughter, Ghislaine Maxwell, stands on trial next week, as soon as next week, when the jury is finally picked for her long-awaited trial. With all of that in mind, I thought it'd be a great idea to bring the one and only Kirby Summers on the show, who's a Ghislaine Maxwell biographer. She's written many books about Epstein. Her latest is called Ghislaine Maxwell, An Unauthorized Biography, and Kirby Summers joins us. Kirby, it's um, quite monumental, this uh, 30-year anniversary for those of us who follow uh, Robert Maxwell. A hundred percent. First, I want to thank you for having me on, Zev. It's amazing that November is such a crucial month for the life of Robert Maxwell in the fact that he lost his life, right, on November 5th, 1991. Ghislaine's trial, as you wonderfully pointed out, the grand jury selection will be terminated by the 15th, which is five days from today. And her trial begins on November 29th, so I am sure that this is the last thing anyone in the Maxwell family expected would happen to Galen Maxwell in November, especially, you know, a month that continues to haunt them, I think. Absolutely, because we still do not know to this day, even though many of us have a very good suspicion, we still don't know officially how he died. I mean, the cause of death is certainly not natural causes. It was something else. He fell off a yacht, which he named after Ghislaine, his beloved yacht. And uh, people suspect that it wasn't quite that. And you go into great detail in your book as to what it might be uh, based on your research and other people's research. And certainly it feels to many people like it was an Israeli intelligence service that may have been involved in the death of Robert Maxwell. Well, that's certainly what Gordon Thomas and Martin Dillon, who co-wrote Robert Maxwell, Israel's super spy, surmised. They sat down and they interviewed Rafi Eitan, who you know, he is really Israel's super spy, you know, and he was also the handler, not just for Robert Maxwell, but he was the handler for Jonathan Pollard. So they sat down and they have been writing books for a very long time about Mossad history and all of that. And uh, they came away with some documentation indicating that Robert Maxwell had indeed run into financial difficulties toward the end of his life. He was a big spender, as you know. I mean, Galen inherited the same problem. You know, you spend money that you don't have, you move it around, you play around with selling the same stock twice. It's sort of like a little bit of like... Um, well, let's not call it a little bit. It's very fraudulent 
what they did, they overextended, they lied on bank applications. And so that he eventually, according again to Gordon Thomas and Martin Dillon, went to the Mossad for whom he was working and had a pretty good relationship. And basically, you know, bottom line, Robert Maxwell was not one to ask someone in a very nice way. It appears that he bullied them and said, if you don't lend me money to get over this hump, which he believed he would get over. Don't forget, like in the 1960s, he went sort of bankrupt for the first time. It took him five years to crawl out of that first bankruptcy. And he believed that he would crawl out of this bankruptcy as well. He just needed a little bit of help. The Mossad is thinking, well, wait a minute. <laughs> He's pushing us around. Yeah, not really? a good idea generally to threaten the yeah. Mossad or any intelligence yeah. agency uh, no. with any sort of blackmail scheme. It's certainly you can't go to them and say, give me money or else I'll reveal all your secrets because, you know, they are they do have a national security interest at, at heart. So they 100%. might do something. They might yeah. do something. So like, you know, here Robert Maxwell has a lot of secrets, especially about the compromised version of Promise, which he was completely involved with, you know, with the backdoor selling it to Sandia Laboratories. And, you know, this is a time where the relationship between Israel and the United States is a little bit uh, still challenging because they're trying to get over the Iran-Contra scandal that where basically Mossad helped the CIA with the providing of arms and all of that and so there's this relationship that's already a little taut and for robert maxwell to have gone to them instead of like in a position of hey <laughs> guys do me a favor he threatened them and so according to gordon thomas and martin Dillon, again it was five guys you know that went on this little boat and when his yacht the lady galen on november 5th sort of entered into the Canary Islands because he showed he was not feeling good. He was already on the yacht for several days. He was doing fine. He had taken himself to, they landed in, in another place. He went and had a very lovely dinner. He followed it with after sort of an after dinner drink. And then, you know, he made a few phone calls. He went back to the Lady Glen, he spoke with his son Ian, and then he spoke with Samuel Pissar, who he had known since I believe right after the war, he had been his lifelong friend. And, and that was sort of like around 10, 11 o'clock at night. And then by what, five o'clock in the morning, nobody can find him. And it's man overboard during the, he had not one autopsy, but two. During the autopsy that was done, it was discovered, as you probably know, that there was a pulled, you know, he was a very obese man, as everyone knows, that there was a pulled muscle, a lot of it on the part of one of his shoulders. And it implied that he had, whether he was pushed or fell or whatever they thought, that he attempted to hold on. Right, mm -hmm. because like that's what would cause the kind of break that he had. Absolutely. And so, yeah. So Galen is one of the um, one of his offspring who never believed it was a suicide. She was like, my father would never commit suicide. Now, all of this reminds me a lot of the way Jeffrey Epstein died, because we never really found out the truth about that either. But there were certainly autopsy uh, results that suggested 
there was something uh, other than just suicide at play, yeah. which is the official reason. And that's because, you know, there's another big echo between these two gentlemen. Certainly Robert Maxwell was a spy for the Israeli um, military intelligence, I believe, through my research. That's who I believe he reported to. But so did, so was Jeffrey Epstein a spy for, or at least an asset for the Israeli military intelligence. And both of them meet to this sort of untimely end uh, under difficult circumstances. You know, Maxwell blackmailing the, the intelligence agencies and Epstein potentially doing similar things because he was just in jail and threatening to also potentially uh, reveal some secrets of his own because, you know, wouldn't that be necessary to get out of jail in that situation? There's a lot yes. of echoes between these two men. Yes. However, while I believe that Jeffrey Epstein was working for Mossad, and in fact, few people know that when he was arrested in Palm Beach, he went on his plane. Typically, when you're arrested, your passport is removed. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, charged. When, when he was initially charged, and it took a long time because, as you know, he had the best attorneys, and they kind of fought back with Alexander Acosta for a while, and so it was a protracted situation. However, Jeffrey Epstein, on the end of May, and I'm trying to remember the year, I believe it was 2000 and. Eight, end of May, he gets on his plane and he goes to Israel. Mm -hmm. Now, who else goes to Israel at the same time? I just want to let, I'm not, I won't stay too long on this, but I want you to know this. Israel is at this point celebrating their 60th anniversary. Mm -hmm. 60th anniversary. George Bush is the president. George Bush turns around and he invites Leslie Wexner. Isn't that interesting to go to Israel at the same time? That is interesting. So, yeah, so they're all in Israel at the same time, and Epstein was not going to come back. He really was not. A newspaper article came out in, and they have it actually attached to Jeffrey Epstein, Predator Spy, which is another one of my books, um, showing that he checked into the Four Seasons Hotel, at, you know, at Jerusalem, and that he was conducting, I guess, to cover for him, right? That he was conducting some kind of walkthrough through their military base. Now, isn't that an unusual thing for someone who was being, first, he was supposed to be a real estate uh, like guru, then he was supposed to be a financial guru, and suddenly he is in Israel, right before he's supposed to be turning himself into the Palm Beach Authority, he's looking at the military base of Israel. Well, it seems to me, all right, that because it was the 60th anniversary of Israel becoming an independent state, right, an independent nation by itself, that, and we have Leslie Wexner, who's already there, that, that they sat down and they had a meeting, George, it seems to me it cannot have gone any other way. George Bush sits down with, I forget the name of the prime minister, it could have been her sir, I, I don't Shamir, remember. I'm not sure who would have been, probably Shamir. Right? No, I was not, I don't think it was Shamir. Uh, okay. no, no. Okay. It, I, I don't think well, it was. 2008, sorry, 2008 would have been, would have been, uh, 2008. yeah, let me, uh, it'll come to me while you're talking. It seems to me that they sat down with him and said, hey, it's going to, it's going to go well, go mm. back because, it, you know, it would have, that would have brought a lot of attention to Israel. This said, he was also working for the CIA, I've discovered, right? So it wasn't mm. just that he was working for Mossad, he was working also for the CIA 
you know, Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine seem to freelance for a bunch of intelligence agencies. You know, they went to the highest bidder in many cases, or what was strategically important for maybe Israel or the United States at the time. So it's interesting that they all have ties to all these intelligence agencies. And yet somehow, you know, this is open secret, I would say, for 30 years. And yet we're still facing a court case right now that Ghislaine Maxwell is going to go in front of a court and no one knows for sure what her status is in terms of this intelligence agencies. The court cases presumably are going to be specifically about the allegations made against her. And yet there's a bigger reason maybe that all these things happened, that her you know, her cases and her crimes, uh, alleged crimes took place, that they're, you know, were maybe following orders from intelligence agencies. And I don't know if we're going to ever find out the truth about that. Do you? I, well, I can tell you 100% we're never going to be told. I mean, uh, Alexander Acosta, when he made that statement, I was told to back off that Epstein belonged to intelligence. He, had, he was in the middle. He had prepared, I believe it was a 50-page indictment against Epstein that would have put him in jail for a very long time when he was approached by his superiors in the United States government and basically told to back off. Epstein, if you remember, when he was in Palm Beach, was treated very leniently. He, he was put into a separate jail, which was empty. He didn't have to lock his door. He was allowed to rent an office. He gave it some kind of name with the word scientific in it, where he would go every day for a total of 12 hours, with the exception of Sunday. He had his own bodyguard his own driver, his, he had, you know, people pick him up and he had everybody visit him. Jean-Luc Brunel, Nadia uh, Marcinko, who he told everyone was his sex slave that he had gotten from Yugoslavia, visit him on a regular basis. And he visited elsewhere on a regular basis. Instead of doing the 18 months that he was supposed to do, he only served 13. Instead of being on afterwards, you know, there's a period for at least a year that you're supposed to be under house arrest. Mm. Epstein was already on his plane flying wherever he wanted. One of the attorneys in Palm Beach hired a private detective to tail him so that if he were to, let's say, not follow what the rules were post being allowed out, that they could rearrest him. Well, he would call his probation officer, hey, I just saw Jeffrey Epstein here. He's in violation of parole. And, and nobody did anything. So Epstein was very much protected. He was not as lucky in 2019 but we can talk about that if you want and i have my own well, suspicions you know, as to why galen and maxwell were frankly arrested well let's talk about that because it is you know we don't have a lot of time here but it is interesting that you know he got away so easily in 2008 uh, certainly maxwell never faced any quotes um, for the things that he did yet Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein were about to face so Jeffrey Epstein was about to face the judicial system now Ghislaine Maxwell is doing that what has changed well, I think that the public discourse um, tends to favor one avenue, and, and I tend to favor a second one. So the public discourse, let's say on social media, 
right? It tends to favor the fact Julie K. Brown, who an esteemed journalist for the Miami Herald, uh, wrote these articles commencing in, in 2018, bringing to light Jeffrey Epstein. And by the way, it did bother him. He a PR guy, you know, he spoke with Stephen Bannon. You know, he wanted Stephen Bannon to help him get maybe on television shows so that he can resurrect his image because Julie Brown was again kind of messing up his world but he never in a million years believed that anything would happen to him so but the the consensus uh, let's say the internet sleuths if you will call them is that he he was rearrested based on julie brown's work based on the fact that yes we're being more vocal on social media i tend to look at it a little differently and um, in fact I am happy that there's a book now written by, let me get this guy's name, which supports my feeling. Uh, if you just give me a second, no I will well, Why don't you do that? It's those Olmerts, I think, was the Prime Minister of Israel uh, in 2008. Yeah, sure. there was going to be a presidential campaign, mm -hmm. right? He, he believed that Donald Trump was concerned of having Jeffrey Epstein out there with the kind of information that he may have had on him. And he wanted to make sure that he was silent. Michael Wolf has oh, written yeah. a book, basically, he writes exactly the way I looked at it. And the same for Galen. Uh, he even writes in his book, Wolf, that Donald Trump approached someone and wanted to know, hey, and I think this made mainstream media, what has Glenn Maxwell said about me? Has she, you know, he was like very curious. Is she talking about me? What does she say? You know, it's like, and then he also goes on to solidify what we were all surmising right before Donald Trump's last day in office. Is he going to give Glenn Maxwell a preemptive pardon? And the answer is he was. Why he didn't do it, he, you know, I don't know what convinced him. Maybe it would have made him look guilty, right? If he that had was given a concern at the end. If I recall correctly, that's what people were saying to him, that, you know, he, any sort of pardons would have made him look very complicit. So, you know, certainly would have interested many journalists in terms of investigating it further. Um, you know, I'm of two minds of it. I don't know independently, even under Bill Barr and others, uh, the judicial system was really working at the time. So it's quite plausible that it wasn't for any particular political reason that they were arresting him or maybe there was a political reason but it's not the one you're stating there maybe it was the one to you know if they have Ghislaine Maxwell or Jeffrey Epstein in custody they have leverage over Donald Trump which at that time they were just beginning to realize Trump was you know potentially a Russian asset himself and had been you know compromised in some ways it would have been useful for them to have Ghislaine or Jeffrey in in custody uh, as a form of leverage um, against that. But you know, there's no evidence around that. That's just my complete speculation. So here's what I usually try to explain to people who follow me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. This is not a lone trafficking ring that began with Jeffrey Epstein and Glenn Maxwell. This existed before. Uh, with Roy Cohn. He had a, a child trafficking ring. This existed with the Franklin scandal, which was also connected to the Roy Cohn. So it seems to be a second generation. At yeah. least that is what it looks like to us, right? That it's a second generation spy family. It sure does. And you know, what's interesting for me is that, it, you know, I look at the, the Robert Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein, I'm going to call it a handover because that's what it really looks like to me is a handover that it was an orchestrated plan to, on the one hand, make it look like Robert Maxwell was deeply indebted 
We don't know where that money went. You know, it was talking about millions of dollars uh, in pension funds and other things that disappeared. You know, maybe, just maybe, that money landed up as part of Jeffrey Epstein's. Jeffrey Epstein, I believe, was already connected to intelligence since the time of the 1980s. And I detail that in Jeffrey Epstein, Predator Spy, and in some of my other books. And there are definite connections that can be traced uh, through court documents, through different things. It's not just, I'm not just surmising. Yeah. Right? I, I, you know, my own research differs from yours on that, because I do think that two people went on the record with me to say that, that Epstein and Ghislaine did meet in the 1980s when he was involved in weapons um, and arms trading as part of the Al-Yamana deal. And at that point that Robert Maxwell uh, took a bit of a shining to him as a potential future husband to Ghislaine Maxwell, so they say, and even tried to bring him on board the Iran-Contra team. And then Ari ben Manashi claims that he scuttled that. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's his words. And it seems that, uh, you know, Steve Hoffenberg has told me the same thing, that they met in the prior to them arriving, to her arrival in the United States, that they'd met in the 1980s and then had a love affair that started early on. That's why it was important for me to fill in the years 1986 to 1990 uh, and even to 1991. And when I went down that rabbit hole, she was very much in love with Count Gianfranco. And once he left her for like a, another woman, she was photographed with several men, one of them being George Hamilton. You know, he used to date Elizabeth Taylor. He has a suntan around, you know, year round. She was photographed with all of these men. It, you know, every woman, if she is left by a lover that she really is in love with, especially if you're in the public eye, you're going to make sure that photographs appear of you on the arm of very eligible and very desirable men, which is what she did. At no time in the 1990s when she was being photographed at all of these events intentionally with all of these men, including one of the Kennedys, was Epstein around. Epstein showed up as a shadowy in 1992. He was almost photographed boarding the Concorde when Galen decided she got tired of hiding under a blonde wig after her father's fraud was exposed. She, you know, she, they, they were harassing the family and, you know, the people just completely hated them and she couldn't handle it. So she got tired of being in London. She had already been exposed to New York City because Maxwell, as you know, purchased the Daily News, I believe, in 1989. And so she had already been coming to New York. She enjoyed it. One of her best friends was Yvonne, who was at, you know, already divorced from Donald Trump. Uh, and so she enjoyed the life here. She decided to make this her home. In my book, I explain that it is my belief and it has been confirmed through a newspaper source that I was able to find of the time that Galen, when she was on the Lady Galen, after her father was pushed or fell off his yacht, there are two, actually, two mainstream media reports stating that she was throwing everything in her father's office. She was going through all of the paperwork. Shredding things, I believe. Shredding things. And yes, so you read the same thing. Shred, but uh, that she had, I believe, uh, during the time that she was going through documents, and in my book, I also go into how 
Robert Maxwell trained her to be a spy. You know, he pretty much took her under his wing. He introduced her to the presidents of the United States. He introduced her to the heads of country. She he took her to Israel. He didn't really do that with any of his other children, no, right? No. But he did it with her. So she took control and she went over his documents. And I believe it was at that time that she picked up Epstein's information, called him. And that is why when she came to New York with her mother for the Yivo affair to honor her father, that he accompanied her. And that's where we see the photograph and the beginning of their collaboration. It's interesting to me that she was trained by her father. And it's also interesting that, uh, you know, we saw a continuation of the work, really. Uh, it was not over once he died. Uh, she obviously remained an asset of some sort to the military intelligence in Israel and so did Jeffrey Epstein because that is appears to be what they were doing throughout that period of time where they were running these operations. And how you perceive the Prince Andrew's role in all of this, we are you know, led to believe by so many people that he this is some sort of op that he, you know, he's been set up or something like that. Yet there's no evidence of any of that. It does seem to me like the case as it's been represented by Virginia Giffries is pretty accurate in terms of how they met and what happened and also his involvement in getting Jeffrey Epstein off in 2008. Yeah, with Bill Clinton. <laughs> mm. So interesting, right? Yeah, well, yeah, 100%. They're trying to make Virginia Jeffrey look bad. It's really interesting. You know, Prince Andrew is either, you know, there are some people who are like just deaf to the reality of life and who are just, doesn't matter if the reality is looking at them straight in the eye, they are kind of, I don't know, they're tone deaf. And when he did that BBC interview, which landed like a thud mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> with everybody else, he seemed unfazed by it, right? He's, and so when the world has now, thank goodness, finally rallied around Virginia Giffray, understands a, a little bit more about human trafficking and about what happens, you're, you're not held by physical restraints, he should have just quietly settled. He's already been completely destroyed, I believe, for the rest of his life. There's no coming back. But for him to allow this attorney and put forth a notion that Virginia Giffray is a money-hungry sex kitten, that doesn't look good for him. You know, she's already proven herself who she is. She doesn't have to prove to anybody else what happened to her. She's a victim. And she's the most bravest one, right? She's the one who has stepped forward. She has named everyone. We would not, the public would not know that much had she not taken Glenn Maxwell to court, had she not sued Epstein. But uh, Prince Andrew seems to not know how to control his behavior. So he has once again called her, you know, a horrific thing. And it just shows you the fact that he is in everybody's opinion, it collaborate, corroborate her, her allegations. Yes, he was probably inappropriate with her because why else would he be with Jeffrey Epstein and Glenn Maxwell pretty much for well over a decade that's documented in mainstream media if it weren't for the fact that they could supply him with an endless stream of young girls, which they did. And that is a good question. And we're going to leave it at that question because I think there's probably other reasons too 
that we don't know yet that could have involved uh, Andrew and that might be, you know, involvement in, in arm uh, to yes. many other things that, Agree. Uh, Agree. that may have involved, you know, the royal family in general. That's, that's one of the things that they do get involved in. So, you know, this has been a fascinating conversation, Kirby, and I'm sure you and I could talk hours and hours and hours about Ghislaine Maxwell and about Robert Maxwell, about Jeffrey Epstein. I hope we get another opportunity in the near future because the trial does Absolutely. begin. So yeah. what's your expectation of this trial? Just as to wrap up here, the last question, what, and also why should people read your book? Well, they should read my book because I go where mainstream media is afraid to go or cannot go. Mm. So the book has a lot of information you really won't find anywhere else. Uh, sure it's does. called Glenn sure Maxwell, an unauthorized biography. It's on my website, kirbysummers.com, but it's also available on Amazon, in Kindle, and in paperback. The sequel is Ghislaine Maxwell Blackmail, and I take her from age 30 to present day in, in that book, and that'll be available in a few months. The trial, while the public is really watching this carefully and they really wish for a resolution, it's only for victims and for a very limited amount of time. I hope for them too, but hope does not, as you know, make the right thing happen. So because Ghislaine really is part, it really is a an espionage case. That's really the crux of it. And they're going to do, the court is going to do anything in their power to keep that from happening. The first step was denying their ability to bring up during the case Jeffrey Epstein's non-prosecution agreement, which is like if you bring that up, that opens the door to intelligence and opens the door to the naming of very prominent men, right? The most powerful men in the world. So they have denied her that ability. I don't expect much. She's already playing the sick card. They're saying that if she is not released from jail, that she's going to be too frail to attend her own court case. So well, let's see what happens. There's a lot more that's going to happen between now and November 29th. For sure. I agree with you. Lots more still to come. You know, it could be that uh, maybe they just want to set the record straight. Maybe this is one way of doing it. It certainly seems like 30 years of secrets and lies and uh, manipulation and influence on, a, on every level of government and globally. And it has really not led the world to a safe place. Maybe there's a realization now that, uh, you know, we should probably come clean on some of the things that have happened in the last 30 years so America can heal and move on. That's the uh, hopeful thought that I have just to leave us uh, tonight, because I, I do think that if you, do, you, know, you can't look at the last 30 years and not include Robert Maxwell in that conversation because he was so pivotal and, and you know, to, and to a lesser extent, but still very important, Epstein and Ghislaine. So, you know, what was that operation all about? Why such a massive operation and for so long, uh, you know, we, we need to sort of understand it. And uh, maybe this is an opportunity in front of a uh, judge to be able to do that. Kirby well, Summers. I hope you're right. Thank I you hope so too. <laughs> I, it, it's not the kind of case you normally would see in front of a court. It's normally... In the realm of counterintelligence, this is not the kind of stuff that they, you know, bring up in courts. Well, well I mean, but that's the point. That's my point. This yeah. is not about intelligence. They narrow, have narrowed this down to sexual assault and transportation of minors across interstate lines. So this is a very narrow case. I do not believe the government has a strong case. I believe it's intentional. If you look at the history of everyone involved in this case, on a higher up level, you will, I mean, you'll look at it a little bit with more skepticism, I believe. Well, I don't think they're going to come clean about everything, to be honest, but I think they'll come clean right. some things, um, you know, which maybe is, if it's just a start. Maybe, you know, we saw it at 9-11, we saw some of the 
FBI documents being uh, declassified that I think was a good move. Maybe uh, this is another step in that direction. <laughs> the book is called Ghislaine Maxwell, an unauthorized biography. It's by Kirby Summers. You can get it on her website. You've seen the cover throughout the show. And Kirby's writing another book. So get ready for that. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell Blackmail, which is interesting and exciting. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show, Kirby. It's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Same we'll be here. watching the trial with you. And I, th I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. I can't believe it starts this month. I know, it's crazy. Well, thanks again, Zev. Have a good day. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.